When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, and I'm sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how you doing this morning? Good, good. A little rainy and uh, mobile today. We're dealing with yet another tropical system that's dumping another foot of rain on us man I'm, I'm really getting tired there for a while even up here it was raining like every day now look granted that was like a month ago but i can't imagine what it's like living on the coast during this time of year yeah we get uh mobile for for some that don't know mobile is actually the rainiest or second rainiest large city in america we battle with seattle every year for rainiest city in the u.s I think we got Seattle whipped this year. It won't even be close. We got them. So the the Seattle of the South then, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, That's today right. We, we actually got um, a mailbag episode. We're going to be talking a lot about Florida because, of course, it's a big game. We're going to take this opportunity. A couple of the questions that have been asked have been geared towards Florida. So we're going to you know take the, the opportunity to answer those questions and – Jimmy hadn't even seen these questions yet. He's going to be live off the cuff. So if, if I sound more prepared, uh, it's because I literally uh, have, have glanced over these before and actually kind of thought about it a little bit. Um, but, you know, I kind of like also being off the cuff a little bit as well. So we'll talk a little Florida, answer some of these questions, and then we'll get out of here and let everybody get on with their uh, their hump day. So, Jimmy, are you ready? I'm ready. I've winged it through entire trials before, so this will be nothing. See, I've done the whole winging it thing through like projects and stuff, and yeah. I, you know what? I used to be pretty good at that, but through an entire trial, I'm impressed. <laughs> There's, you know, I've actually been watching Suits, and so I, it's kind of made me want to become a lawyer. But I just, uh, I don't know if I could do an entire trial just winging it. Well, I didn't say I won, but uh, all right. We'll, <laughs> hopefully, we'll win today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're 100% winning today. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started. Hampton on Twitter asked, who is one player on offense and one on, on defense that has not lived up to expectations through the first two weeks? Through the first two weeks? That's I mean, the, the obvious answer on offense would probably be Jaleel Billingsley, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's definitely a good answer. Um. I'll say that I think there's a pretty good chance in terms of who isn't doing their job well enough on offense might be Chris Owens. That's a little harsh, but I'm not sure Chris Owens is going to end the year uh, still starting at right tackle over how he's played the first two games. On the other hand, I'm not sure how fair that is to Chris because he spent the entire spring and most of the fall playing center. I don't think right tackle is a natural position for him, and he got thrown into the fire a bit. So I'm not sure it's really fair to Chris. On the other hand, based on you know my my observation of the offense, he's probably not playing as well 
as we would like him to play. And Chris has indicated himself on Twitter that he's not playing as well as he would like to be playing. So my answer is going to be Chris Owens with those caveats and also saying I'm not sure the expectations for him would be super high anyway. We're talking about a sixth-year player, and uh, a buddy of mine made a, made a good point about a six-year player the other day in Chris Owens' position. Look, if he, if he was really good, uh, he wouldn't be here six years. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest about that. Most, most Nick Saban starters uh, barely make it through year three before they're, uh, they're off to the NFL. So uh, my answer on offense is going to be Chris Owens just simply because Billingsley certainly below expectations, uh, but hasn't, hasn't played great. I would also throw in, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe Roy Dell Williams. And, and I just say that because I sort of expected him to be a, a part of the committee of backs. And it appears he just plays less than the others. Uh, while we hear your answer on offense, and then we'll go to the defense. Although yeah, I'm, I, I'm the Chris Owens is a fantastic answer. It's one that I really didn't think of, but you're right. Um, you know, with the exp- and, and expectations weren't necessarily high as far as, you know, like you said, a lot of these guys are leaving in year three and he's in year six. So he's had twice the amount of time as most people in the Alabama program uh, to get it right. And there are, you know, justifiable reasons for that. But I think that's a pretty darn good answer. For me, it was Jaleel Billingsley on offense just because, you know, people were talking about him maybe being one of the best tight ends in the country and one of the best playmaking tight ends in the country and how Cameron Latou was going to become, you know, a Robin to his Batman. And really, at this point, it's it feels like the ceiling for Billingsley for this season is going to be playing Robin to, to Cameron Latou's Batman. So it's kind of gone in the opposite – not in the opposite direction, but it's gone a lot differently than a lot of people – including myself, have expected. Um, defensively, for me, it's, it was a pretty easy answer. It, it was Tim Smith. It's been Tim Smith. Um, you know, I thought that based off of what we saw last year and the talent level, I thought it was possible that not only would he be a huge part of the defensive line rotation, he could maybe even push to become a starter and not only become a starter, but be one of the most impactful interior defensive linemen in the country. Not only has he not reached that level yet, he hasn't, um, you know, become a starter yet, which is fun. He could still be a part of the rotation, and he certainly was a lot more against Mercer than he was against Miami. But when you play, you know, only four snaps against Miami, um, that's falling short of expectations, and I think a lot of people would agree. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a Tim Smith problem. It could just be that the coaching staff and what they decided to do for, you know, as far as their game plan against Miami, Tim Smith just wasn't really a part of it because they wanted to go with more veteran experience. And you've got guys who have been there and done it for a while, and you still got plenty of bodies to rotate who have a lot more experience than Tim Smith. And so maybe that's the the route they chose to go. But based off of where we expected Tim Smith to be at right now compared to where he's actually at, you know, I think he's fallen, you know, well short of at least some Alabama fans' expectations and my expectations as well. I love that answer. It would definitely be probably my number one answer for all the reasons you stated. I'm not disappointed in Tim Smith. I'm not like crushed. I'm not worried that he'll never pan out. Uh, I, I think there's reasons for, for all of it, but I expected to believe Clint. I expected to believe that, Tim Smith would be our most talented defensive lineman that plays. And 
I've yet to see that this year. Now, it's just two games. We're playing fewer snaps for defensive linemen than in previous years because so many more snaps are going to outside linebackers and nickel as opposed to defensive linemen. So there's fewer snaps to play, and it's a deep position. And we do have veterans that are, you know, older kids who have played and deserve to play. Uh, But I've not seen one snap. uh, I haven't seen a wow snap out of Tim Smith. I mean, I've seen some wow snaps out of some other guys, but I've yet to exclaim my wow, as I do after big plays, uh, when I see one of our guys flash immense talent and I haven't seen it from Tim Smith, I'll, I'll say this as a joint answer. And again, there's reasons for it, but Malachi Moore, uh, you know, all spring and summer, the projected starter at the star position in nickel, he has lost his starting position. Now, I do not believe that Malachi lost his starting position because he's regressed, was uh, reading his press clippings, as they used to say back when we had a press and and newspapers to clip uh i i think that malachi hasn't regressed i think brian branch has just proven so good they refuse to take him off the field but no doubt every single one of us that 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 covers alabama and obsesses over alabama every day we have all penciled in malachi moore as a starter on this defense in nickel going all the way back to last season, and he's no longer a starter. So I would include Malachi in the maybe not performing up to standards. Had he been unbelievable, then maybe Brian Branch never would have taken a spot. So my answers are Tim Smith and uh, and Malachi Moore. Uh, but I bet, Clint, during the course of this season, they will both make wow plays that uh, that help us win football games. Completely agree. And – you know, this was a question that we're asked. It's not one that I probably would have brought up on my own because I don't think too many players have really fallen too far short of expectations. Uh, there are a couple of answers, both offensively and defensively, but there, like I said, there are justifiable reasons for all of it. Um, so this that wasn't really a knock on on any of those guys that we just included. I, and in my expect, you know, I thought about adding in, you know, special teams and going with James yeah. Burnup uh, at punter. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, I thought the punter. I thought the punter would be better. I did too, and and, and there's still time. But 38.4 yards per punt, um, that's ranking down there near the <clears throat> near the bottom of the SEC. And so he's got to get that stuff right, uh, or Alabama does with somebody uh, at some point this season. It's going to matter that you have a, a an adequate punter, and you know James Burnup and some of those other guys are still very capable. And we'll just kind of have to see how they progress. We'll move on to question two. And, you know, speaking of Malachi Moore and, and the secondary, this fits right along with that. After watching the first – excuse me, this was Troy on Twitter, by the way. I always want to give people credit. After watching the first two games, there has been a lot of shuffling in Alabama secondary early on. There have been injuries, but you also have Kool-Aid pushing uh, Jalen Armour Davis and the versatile Brian Branch looking for a bigger role. Fast forward to the SEC championship game which he put in parentheses, rat poison. I'm glad you included that because if you didn't, I was. And tell me who is in the secondary in both the nickel and dime packages. I love it. Man, what a great question. Good question. It is a great question. Boy, Troy Troy watches Alabama closely uh, because that's a a guy that knows the team kind of question. Uh, And the first one was good good too, but uh, in terms of – you know, we didn't play great against Mercer, and it's it's you know, I guess I guess it's normal to, to point fingers, but 
All right. So this is going to have to be a guess uh, based on what we've seen so far. The fact that, uh, and this is me thinking out loud, the fact that we put Helms in the moment he was healthy tells me that Nick Saban and Charles Kelly love DeMarco Helms. I, I guess he's going nowhere. Uh, assuming good health, Helms and Battle remain the safeties. Clearly, Josh Job is going to start at corner all season. He's he's basically as NFL ready as he's ever going to get. Uh I think those three are locked in. I think the questions are at corner, star, and money. Uh, if we're addressing all, all the personnel packages, I think the question at the other corner, does Jalen Armour Davis continue to hold off Kool-Aid, who's clearly the riser? The riser is always the youngest guy gaining snaps. <laughs> who's the youngest guy gaining snaps? That's your riser. That's Kool-Aid. And he was a player of the week. Nick Saban specifically pointed out that he played well. It took Jalen Armour Davis, uh, I guess he's in year four. Uh, it took him that 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 long to, to nail down a starting spot. It's taken Kool-Aid, frankly, a handful of practices. If you consider he practiced 15 times in the spring and 29 times in the fall, and he's already contending for a starting spot. There, that, that, that tells you that Kool-Aid's ceiling is higher than Jalen Armour Davis, who was a veteran before he nailed down a starting spot. I do think it's a matter of time before Kool-Aid pass him up. So I'm going to answer that Kool-Aid will be starting at the corner opposite Job, but I don't say that in a way that I'm selling Jalen Armour Davis short. I think Jalen Armour Davis would be an a very good starter. If he started all year at Alabama, I think he'd be fine, not a liability. He'd be an asset. He's a good player, but Kool-Aid just may be a freak that's hard to keep out of the lineup. I think Branch has just beaten out Malachi at star. I think he did it on the practice field. Uh, and and I think it's going to take Branch busting or getting beat in the games for them to go back to Malachi. And I don't see that happening. Uh, but Malachi will continue to be the sixth defensive back all season, uh, which, will, which, which makes a shuffle. I think when Malachi comes in, he, he will play the star spot and then, uh, and then Branch uh, would be the money. Uh, so Branch is going to play two spots, uh, star and nickel and money and dime. Uh, and that's, that's how I think the six will play out all season uh, off, off the cuff. And, of course, I'm guessing. This is a very difficult question because I really wish that I knew that it wasn't, you know, granted – the thing that's holding me back on saying, well, maybe the coaching staff has just been slowly working Malachi more back into the rotation, um, you know, re recovering from that injury and spending most of his offseason recovering from that injury. But at the same time, he, he he started and played pretty much the entire game against Miami. So if there was any limitations, then he wouldn't have done that, right? Um, yeah. It's just he, he did it at safety with DeMarco Helms being out. So I, I so I can't really sit there and say, okay, that's the reason maybe he's not worked his way back into his normal role. It would seem that Brian Branch has taken that from him. But like you said, you're still going to see both of them. Um, and I think that it's a fairly even distribution before it's all said and done this season. And I think the coaching staff will get creative. The other big one, I completely agree, uh, agree with 90% of what you said. The one question that I have, and it's just because there's still unknowns. I saw Kool-Aid McKinstry play 
very well, especially for a first start against Mercer. I saw Jalen Armour Davis play extremely well against a top 15 Miami team. Maybe not even, a, you know, from a talent standpoint and where they finish, who knows, they might not even finish in the top 25, but I do feel like Miami is light years ahead of where Mercer's at. And I still, I was shocked at how well Jalen Armour Davis played and he got player of the week, according to the coaching staff for his performance. So, um, you know, until I see Kool-Aid doing it uh, with Jalen Armour Davis healthy or available, um, you know, because when both of those two guys were available, Kool-Aid McKinstry got four snaps. And so once I actually start seeing uh, Kool-Aid actually cutting into his snap share, with both of them available, I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's going to be Armour Davis for the majority of this season. And if I see Armour Davis play bad, if he plays poorly, and I don't mean just, you know, a couple of snaps or, you know, one game even. I wouldn't be ready to write him off after one game. But if, if, it, if it starts to become a little bit of an issue, then we'll I'll probably reevaluate. But based off of what I saw, and this is a very different outlook for me than I had coming into the season as far as where I thought that uh, – position would end up I'm going to probably go with you know Jalen Armour Davis being the starting corner opposite Josh Job in the SEC championship and um, you know we'll kind of just have to see how it ends up playing out but the good part about it is whether you're talking about that star position whether you're talking about at corner I think you got two very good options to start opposite Josh Job and then at safety you know because of the experience with Malachi Moore being able to play safety if Jordan Battle goes down if DeMarco Hellams goes down once again you're able to slide one of those other two guys in there and really you've got a starting caliber not just a starting caliber player but an impactful player a guy who can make a difference in a football game for you um and I think so whether it be a perimeter corner star or safety Alabama's got some great depth there um, and then, of course, Marcus Banks, you, you can't take away from what he was able to do against Mercer as well. He adds to that rotation as well if he needs to or that depth, I guess you'd say, if he needed to. The next question, Steve on Instagram asked, where is Florida most exploitable and where is Alabama most exploitable against Florida? You can take this first if you want to or you can pass it off to me. It's completely up to you. Well, uh I'll let I'll let you I'll let you go first. That's t- that's tough. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll probably need to think through it better than you. That's that's a that's a, that's a pretty good question, Steve. You go ahead, Clint. Then I'll go. Yeah, that was one that was uh, that that got thrown up this morning. I, I put it good. up on my my story uh, late yesterday. As far as you know, wanting to add a couple of more questions to the mailbag, and woke up this morning to this one, and I thought, you know what, we'll kind of just see where it goes. But for me. Off the top of my head, if you're talking about where is Florida most exploitable, I think their offensive line is good. It's decent, but it's not great. And if, especially if Will Anderson Jr. is healthy, when you combine, you know, that, that passing game for Florida, Emory Jones has already proven to be susceptible to making costly, not necessarily costly mistakes up to this point, but mistakes especially in the passing game. And Anthony Richardson, he's more of just an unknown factor. But with that hamstring, I'm not entirely sure. I think Emory Jones is still the starter. Anthony Richardson might be good enough uh, or healthy enough to be able to play some snaps and, and try to make an impact in the game. And if he proves to be healthy once he gets in there, he might stick around and stay the quarterback. But either way, there's some unknown factors there. I mean, going against Florida Atlantic and going against, you know, South Florida, that's not this Alabama defense. So even though Anthony Richardson has looked, you know, in some ways like a Heisman caliber player, a future Heisman caliber player, we don't really know what he is yet. Um, And so when you combine Alabama's pass rush going against a very 
um, you know, good, not great Florida offensive line, improved Florida offensive line in some ways from last year even, but there are some exploitable places along that offensive line that I think Alabama can take advantage of. Plus, you got a playmaking secondary. You put pressure on those quarterbacks, you force them to make some mistakes, and I think Alabama can exploit that and 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 really shift, whether it be a momentum shift or whether it be, um, you know, just a, some sort of game-changing play, prevent Florida's offense from being able to move the football, whatever it ends up being. I think you end up seeing a couple of turnovers um, from Florida's offense on Saturday, going the opposite route with, you know, where is Alabama most exploitable compared to Florida and how, you know, where can Florida exploit Alabama? It's kind of the same thing. Um, it's the offensive line because this is Bryce Young's first road start, first true road start um, away from Bryant-Denny Stadium, only the third start of his entire career. He still is, you know, I wouldn't say he's raw, but he's still a guy that, you know, hadn't been tested in certain areas and being on the road in a hostile environment like the Swamp, that's, that's uh, you know, kind of a tough ask. And, and with uh, Florida's group of edge rushers, you got Brenton Cox, you got Jeremiah Moon, you got Chris Bogle, you know, Antoine Powell. I think they're pretty deep as far as their edge rushers are concerned. And, you know, watching Chris Owens struggle with the, the pass rush from Mercer, watching, you know, JVN Cohen have, you know, kind of a, a rough time with the interior pass rush for Mercer. I think that Florida could potentially put some pressure on Bryce Young. The good part about it is even if they are able to exploit that and put the pressure on Bryce Young, we saw Miami do something similar, and Bryce was fantastic handling the pressure, um, you know, when Miami was able to put him under pressure. Uh, his statistics and stuff – were fantastic. So I think that even though Florida will be able to exploit that a little bit, I, I still believe in Alabama's ability to have plenty of success offensively. So that was my kind of initial things was the trenches, trenches, the offensive line. Uh, Jimmy, kind of where do you sit with things? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No, great answer, Clint. Great answer. It helped me with mine, and I would say it reinforced uh it reinforced my off-the-cuff thought to this. And, look, I think this is a losable game for Alabama. Alabama only plays four or five at the most that, that, that I consider losable. Not, not predicting a loss, but just saying, well, you could see that one getting away from us. And, and if Alabama loses Saturday, if they do, I, I think the culprit will be the offensive line. And we saw against Mercer – that the Alabama offense uh, isn't going to look pretty uh, when the rhythm is off. And, and Alabama's rhythm was off on, on the first three or four possessions of the game, I think in part because of offensive line bus and offensive linemen getting beat and it threw the timing of everything off. Then everything sort of fell apart. Penalties, some on the offensive line. Uh, Florida's definitely got dudes in their front seven. Now, it's not the all-time best Florida Gator front seven. This is not a vintage SEC defense, but it is an SEC defense. That means that every single player that's going to be on the field for Florida was a highly recruited SEC athlete. 
Uh, they, they ain't running Mercer's kids out there. And we saw Alabama's offensive line, uh, I'll use the word struggle, but struggle with Mercer to some extent. So I, I think Florida is going to put a lot of pressure on on specific Alabama offensive linemen they think they can beat. Let's say, for instance, it's Cohen. He's probably going to see some double A-gap blitzes, things things that would confuse him and worry him and get him anxious and stressed out. And uh, and and then, of course, Chris Owens, you know, right tackle. If he hasn't played well, Florida's going to throw the kitchen sink at him. And I, I think if you get Alabama's offense off rhythm for 60 minutes, it, it might get ugly. It might get ugly like the first, you know, eight or nine minutes of the Mercer game. But for a whole 60 minutes, Florida could probably keep that up based on the fact they just have a, a you know more premium athlete. So I worry about that matchup, and I think that's where Florida will try to take advantage of Alabama. Now, the other way around, let's be honest, Flor- Florida's offense put up points, but they were not great uh, in their two matchups, even against outmanned Florida Atlantic and then what is really a terrible South Florida team. South Florida is awful. They got drilled by North Carolina State, who then lost to Mississippi State. Uh, South Florida's really bad, and Emory Jones still threw two interceptions and didn't have a great completion percentage. Emory has not been good as a passer. He just hasn't. That's why Florida is excited about Anthony Richardson, and I'm excited about him too. Now, I saw what you saw. You even used the word Heisman in the same paragraph as Anthony Richardson, and I see that myself. There have been two true freshmen this year that don't play for Alabama that I've seen that I have felt the same way about. That's Anthony Richardson at Florida and that Travion Henderson at Ohio State. I think those kids are going to be uh, future Heisman candidates uh, in their sophomore and junior years, if not senior years. So Florida, in part, is excited about Anthony Richardson because they're not excited about Emory Jones. Uh, Emory is a great athlete. He will run around. He will hurt Alabama with his feet. He is going to convert some third and eights on his own, scrambling around. That's going to happen. Don't go ahead and start getting frustrated now. If you're the type of Alabama fan that throws your uh, Bud Light can at your TV screen when, when, when the other team converts a third and eight, start throwing it now, warming up your arm right now because Emory Jones is going to scramble on third and eight and, and beat us to some sticks. I mean, that, that's going to happen. So, but where I think Alabama could take advantage is Emory wasn't a great passer against terrible South Florida and, and less than average Florida Atlantic. So where Alabama can really take advantage is making Florida one-dimensional, making Florida a team that's only going to hurt us with quarterback scrambles from Emory and from Anthony Richardson. And while that might produce a big play and it might produce some third down conversions, it's probably not enough to march up and down the field and score with Alabama. So uh, that's where I think Alabama is going to try to really take advantage of is Florida's pass game is anemic. Let's uh, let, let's, let's, let's really pressure them and, uh, and just take it away and say, Hey, if you're going to beat us, uh, it's going to be because Emory and Anthony are good at running around. I like that answer, and I completely agree with you. Um, all right, we'll move on. Jackson on Facebook asks, uh, which this you know certainly fits right into what we're talking about with Florida. 
do you really think Florida is a top 10 team? I've been less than impressed with them this year. And I'll go ahead and jump on this one uh, to start. Um, because the the coaches poll, I think, has Florida at number nine. So they have them as a top 10 team. I think the AP poll, or maybe it's back. I got that backwards. But either way, the other poll, uh, AP poll, has them at number 11 overall, if I'm not mistaken. So one just outside the top 10, one just inside the top 10. Um, and so I, I got to be honest with you, Jimmy. I don't feel like Florida is a top 10 team right now, you know, based off of what they lost last year with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony and Trevon Grimes, um, you know, stone foresight that along the offensive line, who was one of their better offensive linemen. I just feel like that we don't know what they are offensively. They've got some talent at their Florida. They're always going to have some talent. You got the quarterback development and maybe, you know, everybody's been expecting it to be Emory Jones that, Dan Mullen puts his, you know, leaves his handprint on. It could be Anthony Richardson as far as becoming a passer and and bringing that arm up to speed with his natural athleticism and ability as a runner. Maybe that ends up being the case. And if that happens, then I think their offense can be really good. And the running backs are solid. Jacob Copeland, who was a former, you know, highly rated, you know, or highly recruited guy coming out of high school. You know, he didn't have a great first game. I think he only had one catch for like 15 yards or something like that against Florida Atlantic. And then he explodes for like five catches for like 175 yards and a touchdown uh, or, or two touchdowns even. Um, I don't really remember. But point being, he exploded against uh, South Florida. And so he's very capable. He's not a big body guy. He's just over six foot, you know, just over 200 pounds. Like I said, not going to be one of those big receivers that out physicals defensive backs but very steady in the way that he plays the game can win on the short to intermediate stuff and then can also beat you over the top deep as well so I think they have some likable pieces both offensively and defensively I just see them a lot more you know closer to the late teens early 20s as far as where I think they'll probably finish compared to where they're at right now which is a top 10 squad that's right. Uh, I don't see him as top 10 either, uh, Clint. Uh, a couple of things that first of all, you don't have to be top 10 to be good. Uh, I think one thing, another thing Nick Saban has done to us, Nick has done a lot to us, frankly. But here's another thing Nick's done to us. He has made us forget that there's more than three or four good teams. I, I think at Alabama, every year we concern ourselves with who's in the top four, who's potentially a threat to beat Alabama, and, and that list in our minds is, you know, the Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia type list. And, 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 and we don't even think about teams beyond the top five as being good. But the fact of the matter is, of course, they're good. Uh, all the top 25 teams, the legitimate top 25 teams are good uh, by definition. And Florida is good. I, I think Florida is capable of beating Alabama Saturday. I don't even rule it out uh, based on playing at Florida and Bryce's first road start. And Alabama's offensive line struggling. Uh, I, I don't even rule out, but I think Florida most likely loses to Alabama. I think Florida most likely loses to Georgia. You better not lose another game and think you're going to stay in the top 10. Uh, and, and, and I think Florida is likely to lose another game. Uh, LSU's got a lot of talent. Uh, they could beat Florida. They did, uh, you know, last year. Uh, you know, LSU struggled, still beat Florida. I'll tell you another two teams – the Florida better lace them up for, and that's Missouri and Kentucky. I, I, I think I think Florida is going to be one of those weird teams, Clint, where maybe they beat an Alabama and then lose to Missouri and Kentucky. I mean, I, 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 can, I can see that happening. I, 
I don't think Florida has enough dudes to just steamroll through the SEC. I think they have enough dudes to beat anyone in the SEC, including Alabama, including Georgia. But if you if you want to win 10 games in this league and be a top 10 team, you need a lot of dudes at all the positions. And I, I don't see that Florida has it. Like you pointed out, not enough playmakers outside. They don't have an alpha at running back. They just have good backs. Uh, Emory hasn't proven he's a thrower. Anthony Richardson is, is, is a true freshman uh, and would struggle in the past game if he played 60 minutes. And while they have some athletes on defense and even a first-round corner, uh, they're, they're, they're just not good enough. So I, I think Florida finishes where you said maybe as high as 11 or 12, maybe as low as 17 or 18, most likely somewhere in the middle there and, and probably ends the year around nine and three. Uh, uh, I, I think eight and four is more likely than 10 and two, frankly, but I'll settle in at nine and three. That should put you somewhere around 12 or 13. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm speaking candidly, um, there's a part of me that wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I have them, I had them going into the year finishing third in the SEC East behind Georgia and Kentucky. Watching Missouri, I agree with you. I wouldn't be shocked if Florida finished fourth in the SEC East. I really wouldn't. I, I still have them slotted third and have them slotted ahead of Missouri, but that's I think that they're a lot close. Them and Missouri are a lot closer than Kentucky and, and Florida are, are close. You know, you get what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll kind of just have to see how that plays out. The final question was from Darcy on Facebook, and I thought this was a fantastic question too. Who are some guys who can still break out this year who haven't yet? Oh, wow. Darcy, score. Man, we had some good questions. Fantastic questions, yeah. It confuses me that people that listen to the show are so smart. Uh, <laughs> they don't even really need to come here to learn. You know, they already know. Uh, <laughs> they already know. <laughs> uh, Dar okay, guys that haven't broke out that will. I'll, I'll, I'll go through a few. Um. Treshawn Holden, Boom. who, uh, I mean, I've underestimated him. I'll be honest. I, I didn't really figure him to really be in the first rotation, and, and he sort of is already, and he stood out uh, to me. I, I think Holden is going to be a really good player, and he's got a big game or two ahead of him. Also, watch for Javon Baker, uh, who's also in the same position as Holden, a guy on the fringe of the first team. And Baker is as good at making the circus catch as anybody on the roster. So those two, of course, Billingsley, but that's sort of a softball. We know Billingsley is good and he hasn't broke out because he hasn't played. He's been in trouble. So he hasn't really played. But we know Billingsley, assuming he gets completely out of trouble, just playing a lot, he'll, 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 he'll do something big. Uh, I, I think Jalen Milrow by the end of the season might be a weekly part of the first team package in a wildcat situation. I think, I think he could be a breakout star uh, once they decide to hand him that role. And, uh, and at running back, I think, you know, maybe when we play somebody good and, and he's getting more carries, I think Jace McClellan is a guy capable of a 150 or 200 yard game. If he got enough carries. So, uh, and I'll just throw him one name defensively, a guy who hasn't stood out 
but I, I totally believe he will. And that's maybe Justin Aboigbe, uh, who, who I, I think is probably a better player than we know. And uh, at some point, he's going to prove that. The first guy who came to mind, or one of the first guys, there was actually two, one offensively, one defensively, but Treshawn Holden was one of the first ones that popped into my head. Um, so you saying that, uh, I 100% agree. And by breakout, I'm not saying he's going to take over the number one role, the number two role. I'm just saying that I think he's going to become a lot more reliable and relied on than he has been through the first yes. couple of weeks. Um, yes. So that's kind of how I would put it. Some people, when they say breakout, they mean you become an elite player at your position or, you know, you become a one, one of your team's biggest stars or whatever. I just think that you seeing your role increase compared to where it's been in the past and compared to where it's been through the first two weeks, that's, you know, it, I, I consider that a breakout. Um, and, and that's why you can kind of get a lot more because, you know, I, and I thought about Jaleel Billingsley too. What I kind of went with is I, I thought to myself, which yours is just as ju justifiable. It's just in my head, I thought, well, I guess he's already broken out before. Um, I'm, I was kind of trying to think of new guys. So for this particular season, you're 100% right. And that's something I thought about throwing him on my list and you doing it. I, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. Just for me, I was trying to think of guys who haven't had that breakout season ever or that breakout performance right. ever. Um, but the one defensively for me, we've already talked about him. The guy who's fallen short of expectations so far, Tim Smith. Um, I think that throughout the course of this season, we saw him get a lot more involved earlier on against Mercer than we did again. You know, he only got four snaps against Miami. Then he played a lot more snaps against Mercer, which, you know, you would assume that that was going to be the case because you're starting to get into your depth. But it wasn't just that. He was playing early in the football game in the first half and seeing significant action and, and doing a pretty good job. So with his ceiling as far as being a, a, a you know run defender and getting after the quarterback, I think he ends up having some breakout performances later. It becomes a much bigger part of the rotation and a much more important part of the rotation. And then the last two guys that I threw on the list, I think at least one of them breaks out. We haven't seen it yet, and I think for one of them it's going to be situationally. A lot of it's going to depend on the health of Will Anderson Jr., but a Dallas Turner or a Chris Braswell. Chris Braswell right now has more of an opportunity because, you know, Drew Sanders, I still believe in his ability as far as being a pass rusher to some degree. I just think that Chris Braswell, you know, they, they might have a plan to get him involved later on, and I could see him being a guy that plays, you know, 10, 15, 20 snaps in the game, so not a ton, but yet he puts up, you know, five, six, you know, sacks over the course of this season as a rotational pass rusher. And if that ended up being the case, I mean, him finishing third or fourth on the team in sacks, you know, putting up those kind of numbers, that would 100% be a breakout performance or a breakout season for him. And then with Dallas Turner, if it's not going to be Chris Braswell, you got Drew Sanders. Um, you, you know, you got Will Anderson Jr., who we don't, we still don't fully know where he's at as far as his health. Hopefully, he's back for Florida. If he's not back for Florida, he's probably going to be back sooner rather than later. But, you know, with the coaching staff maybe wanting to take it easy with him and make sure that he's back to being 100% healthy, you might have some opportunities for a Dallas Turner to get involved. And, um, you know, he was able to crack the two deep from from the jump. And I thought that was, you know, you got King Wakuda, who has a lot more experience. He wasn't on the two deep. Dallas Turner was. So I, I think that he's going to have some opportunities to show what he's capable of at some point this season. So those are my other two guys that I would probably include. Um, that's going to wrap it up for the mailbag. Jimmy, you got anything else you want to add? No, just the questions were great. Y'all keep them coming. We'll do this all the time. Uh, man, those questions are 
are really good. Uh, man, take it easy on us. How about an easy one every now and then? Like, uh, name a name a player on the team who may have said something R-rated during a player interview. You know, <laughs> something something easy that we might be. We know the answer to that. Uh, how, those are how, tough. So uh, how how fantastic got, was that? I, oh, I just man. I you know what? As soon as he started to say it, I'm like, I I can't believe because he, he said the first part. And then <laughs> you're like, man, uh, he, he went there, huh? And then he, he said, suck, suck on. And I was like, there's no way Josh Maxson's letting this fly. No way. And uh, That's the part I, that I think is funniest, and I know you do too. Uh, Josh, is, Josh is even funnier than Jordan with his reaction in the background. That, that makes the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, that was incredible stuff. Um, all right, that's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama on three show. Guys, once again, I appreciate you guys listening in. I know Jimmy and, and myself, we both have a blast talking about this stuff. We appreciate the questions. As we continue to get you know further and further into the season, we're going to start trying to figure out creative ways to get you guys involved with the show. Um, maybe get you, you know, some fans or, or some listeners on some Zoom calls. As long as you keep it G-rated and keep it fun, we'll certainly uh, love to have some of you guys join live and, and kind of share your opinions and ask questions, and, and we can kind of run with it and do whatever it is that we want to do with it. Um, so, once again, I really appreciate you guys listening in. If you haven't already, um, go sign up right now for On3+. Plus. It's only $10 for the first year. You're not going to beat that deal anywhere. And you're going to be getting the premium recruiting content from Nikki. You're going to be getting the great message board stuff from Jimmy. And I try to provide some team premium content as well. And we're just having fun with it. We're building this thing. It's taking off each and every week. We're adding new subscribers. We're adding new listeners as far as the, the show is concerned. We appreciate that. Go sign up for On3+. Plus. Like I said, only $10 for the entire first year. And also go like, subscribe, or do whatever it is that you need to do as far as the uh, the, the show is concerned. The Bama On3 show, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen, subscribe, download the episode, share with your friends. Uh, you know, we want to build this thing as much as we possibly can, and we need y'all's help to do it. So we appreciate you listening in, as always. This is Clint Lamb, and you're listening to the Bama on 3 show. We'll talk soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.